Welcome to the Making Ways podcast with Ripple Effect. My name's Dave Roman, and I'm here with Chris Carr, Representative District 11. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for being on. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's just jump right into it. So the sales tax, do you think that's going to be signed by the governor? Well, that is the question. And I know that every day we keep hearing different stories and everybody's guessing. You know, at the end of the day, the sales tax that we looked at, uh, the overall sales and use tax uh, reduction, it passed through the legislature almost unanimously. So in the House, it did. It was solid green, 70 votes. I think it was 32 in the Senate. So passed by a huge margin. Even the Democrats voted for it. Even the Democrats, you know, and we looked at a couple of different options. We vetted these. Uh, we looked at the pros and cons of each of these things. This is the, the interesting thing is that all different groups, they're all different factions of, you know, Republican Party, even the Democrats, all came up with their own uh, conclusion. And I think for the most part, they said, hey, this overall reduction in the sales and use tax is good tax policy. We saw that with the proponents. So many proponents came to support that bill and not the others. You, you saw, you know, the business community, your retailers, just so many different groups were there as proponents for that particular cut. Could you give us a little bit of background of why this uh, sales tax came up? You bet. Well, I've been a peer as a legislator and serving in appropriations since 2017. So the year before I was there, the sales tax was increased from 4% to 4.5%. And at that time, there was a provision put in place that some call the Partridge Amendment that said the sales tax should be reduced by 0.1% for every 20 million of online sales tax we would collect, known as remote sellers. There was a lot of issues with that language, uh, with the definition of remote sellers. And over the next two years, 17 and 18, we could not come to a conclusion uh, definitively on the definition and how to handle that situation. I brought several bills trying to address that so that we could honor the intent of the law. It was really odd having something that's law and we're not following it, but we just couldn't figure out how. So there were several attempts by myself and, and others to go, okay, here's how we got to reward this. Here's how we got to think about this. Here's a responsible way to address it. Fast forward, here we are. Our economy has been going strong. We've been dealing with surpluses now for several years. A lot of folks will say, well, there's a lot of federal money coming in. Yep, that's right. But we also, our, our economy in South Dakota has been strong. Our organic growth has been strong. If I take the last 15 years, 20 years, and I take out, you know, these outliers of a tax increase of the federal stimulus in 2010 and 21 and 22, there's still this really nice organic growth that we see, a growth rate in South Dakota that supports us being able to take these extra dollars, give them back to South Dakotans, and still take care of our obligations. So that's where we're at. That's how we got to 1137. Uh, now's the time to cut taxes. Things are going well. Well, I thought that the last couple of years. I tried to convince my colleagues. Uh, last year, I got it through the House, but barely. Uh, the executive branch wasn't really keen on the idea at the time, and the Senate wasn't terribly keen on it uh, either. So not everybody's in tune to the economy and the dollars, you know, like I'm an appropriator. My background's economics. I've been in business. Mm -hmm. And for what I've seen and what I foresee allows us to do this. And now fast forward just a few months after last session, and you've got the executive branch coming out, pushing a tax cut, saying we can afford to do it. You've got lots of different individuals and groups saying, yeah, I think we can afford to do this. So it just takes some a little bit longer than others to be comfortable with that idea. I think at the end of the day, that comes from probably a good place where folks want to make sure we can continue to take care of our obligations. And I do too. I just got to the conclusion a little bit sooner. I think that despite the fact that our economy is doing very well, I think people could use a little help. 
Absolutely. You know, this tax cut will result in $104 million of tax relief. I think it could be more. I think it'll incentivize folks to spend more, which will create more prosperity, more turnover in the dollar. The multiplier effect uh, will probably receive or collect more taxes at the state level. So the actual loss of revenue will probably be less than $104 million is what I expect based on the elasticity of, of that tax raise you know, that we saw in 16. And what a tax decrease does economically, we know that the more discretionary dollars, the more people spend, it's good for everybody. Now, you touched on the Partridge Amendment. So there was a dollar amount that was supposed to be reached before that was triggered. Now, how much money are we taking in from internet sales? Well, so at the time in 16, you know, we hadn't been really measuring it or watching it. And so it's hard to go back further than that. But we started looking at it. We were at about $91 million in taxable sales mm-hmm. in 2016. And in 2022, we were at $1.9 billion in taxable sales. So we are definitely doing online business and we're collecting sales tax from businesses. We're fully realizing sales tax. So not just brick and mortar, but our online. You're doing about as good as you could and just honest collections across the board. Well, I hope this, this gets signed by the owner. So you touched on the budget. Yeah. Uh, so there's a threat of a veto of the budget. So can you give us a little background on why that's the case? Well, I'm not privy to what the executive branch is thinking on all these issues. But what I will say is that the budget is comprised, I would say, 90% or more of what the governor had proposed as far as the ongoing budget. Mm -hmm. So that ongoing budget is the governor's budget for the most part. It includes a tax cut of $104 million, which is the same amount as the food tax. It's just a different mechanism that's cutting the taxes. To me, as a legislator, if I had proposed this budget, I got 95% of what I wanted. I got this huge tax cut for South Dakota. Maybe it wasn't the mechanism I proposed. That's a huge win. I'd celebrate all day, every day. I went into this saying, there's a few different options for tax cut. I believe we need to figure out a way to do something with these surplus dollars. I do think that this way, 1137, the overall sales tax was the best way. But if the rest of people, you know, legislators and the executive branch can't get behind that, then I am open to supporting something else. And I think that's the team approach we got to take as Republicans in South Dakota to go, we know we're collecting excess dollars. They have to go back to taxpayers. Let's figure out the best way to do that. And it went through the legislative process, which is there's four steps in the legislative process. It, there's a fifth step that ends with the executive branch. That's a huge win. And I think it's a huge win for the executive branch, and the governor as well. Um, I'm hoping that the governor will help embrace that and work together to make sure that that's a sustainable tax cut. All right. So let's talk a little bit about a couple of bills that you brought forward. Uh, one didn't pass. So one of them was the lewd and lascivious bill. Do you want to explain what that is and what that was about and what happened? Sure. Well, the lewd and lascivious bill, in its simplest form, says it's something that is deemed lewd and lascivious, which we're talking about something as we define through the Miller test. That's the United States Supreme Court definition. Lewd and lascivious is something that is so sexually based in nature and prurient that it's not even protected by the First Amendment. So your First Amendment rights don't even protect this type of activity, this lewd and lascivious that we're talking about. And we're saying if it meets that criteria, then you cannot use state resources or state facilities or state property to have such an event or host an event. So this would have been a very constitutional bill or there would have been a constitutional challenge. I thought it was pretty straightforward, very simple. I don't think we would have had a constitutional issue there. Um, that was one of the concerns and when we were drafting it. I think this was a bill that could be used for model legislation in other states because we know every day I got some sort of email or notification about other states that are dealing with this, drafting legislation, 
trying to look at how they can put something into law that would address the loon lascivious and other types of activities that were happening on public property. Mm. I just don't think taxpayers at the end of the day, I don't, anyhow, I don't think others do want to be paying for a facility or a university that's hosting something that's lewd and lascivious. So something so sexually based that it's not even protected by First Amendment rights. I just think it's a common sense bill. I made it all the way through over to the Senate, died in the committee, it got smoked out on the floor, but it did not pass through the Senate floor. So I think it lost by two votes. But I was really disappointed. I thought uh, I really thought it was a good common sense bill. The problem was a lot of opponents showed up, said there was things that were happening in that bill that just simply were not true. I see. Yeah. And it's hard to combat people muddy the waters, they fear monger. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just a tactic that's used, and sometimes you can't overcome it. Uh, another bill you brought was for uh, DUI mandatory minimum sentencing. Yeah, well, so that one has a little bit of a personal background there. At the end of the day, what I've seen is you have individuals that are these serial or habitual DUI offenders. I don't think we've had a very good system in South Dakota for dealing with it, and I think we've been really too easy on in accepting of DUIs, especially the ser- serial DUIs. And so what this does, it creates a mandatory minimum and says, if you have four DUIs in a 10-year period, then you're going to serve one year in the penitentiary. You're going to have one year of parole that's supervised on the 24-7 program. The next level, it says it's five DUIs in a 10-year period. It goes to three years uh, in the pen and one in one parole. And then six over a 15-year period and then you have five years of sentence and one year of parole. But here's the thing. This is not a simple lock them up and throw away the key bill. This is a really well-balanced bill. And the fact that at the end of the day, my goal is to get people off the road that are those habitual drinker and driver, multiple offenders, multiple offenses, and they can't help themselves. I worked over the last year to look at the different types of rehabilitation we have in our state. Working with the UJS and the Chief Justice in South Dakota really explored, and I wanted to find our most successful program that we have, and that's the DUI court program. It has an 80% success rate. It's higher than any other program that we were able to find. So that means a 20% recidivate. With mm-hmm. 80%, that's really good. Our successful, it's very good. So at the end of the day, if we can get somebody to go through this rehab program and they can be productive members of society, their family, a job, that's the ultimate goal, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're not on the road as a danger. But if they can't do that and they still continue to drink and drive, then I have no choice but to protect society and we need to, to lock them up. Right. So it's that simple. You know, the really disappointing thing, there wasn't a lot of opponents towards the end. It was some attorneys. A lot of them said something to the extent they're referring to me, the sponsor, is bringing us over one situation. And I thought, you know, that's really unfair. Just during session alone, we had two different news stories come out. An individual here in Sioux Falls had 10 DUIs, I think four just in the last year. And then we just had in the last couple of weeks, another individual that had like five DUIs in the last 10 years and four were within the last year and a half or something. This happens all the time. I get emails. I have other people reach out to me. This is not one situation. And so I think it's really offensive when uh, individuals say something like the sponsor's bringing this over one situation and the Billy's ringing wouldn't even have had impact on that situation. So I was really disappointed in that. Because at the end of the day, the tax cut bill is a really great bill. It gets money back into the taxpayers' hands. That's what's important. But you're talking about making a really fundamental difference in society. I think this DUI bill 
does that. I think it's a very meaningful bill that changes people's lives, very fundamental level. There's a couple other bills too that I focused on that I thought have more meaningful impact. I mean, we all want to have more dollars in our pocket, but when you talk about saving lives and changing lives, this is this is right up there, and this is a well-balanced bill. Very proud of that bill. All right. Well, veto day is coming up. That's the last day of legislative session. Do you have any uh, thoughts about that? Well, right now, I think we have four bills that we're looking at that have been vetoed. Uh, we'll continue to see if there's anything else that comes. We're going to go, and we're going to, you know, I want to hear out the governor. I want to hear out everybody, hear the perspectives, and uh, we'll have to make a decision. So I don't have a lot more to say on veto day. All right. Well, last thoughts here. Let's throw this out to you. Uh, what would what would your insight be? What would you say to uh, activists, grassroots activists, like group effect? What, what what advice you'd give them? First of all, I thank them for their their activity, for their organization, for their resolve. You know, I meet a lot of people that say, you know, "I'm really interested. I want to do something. What do I do?" So yeah, there's all this energy and there's this interest in politics and making a difference. And people are looking for an avenue and an outlet to do that. And I think the Patriot Ripple Effect and other groups that we're seeing. Uh, that have come to to fruition last few years are perfect because we need that. It's such an important piece of assisting, you know, this team collaborative effort. Yes, we need legislators, but you also need the grassroots. You need your your activists. You need all those different components to come together to make a difference. And we've seen that happen. And I I think it's really exciting to see and think about the next couple of years as this all comes together, congeals more. You have some folks, your legislators, your your other elected officials throughout the county, the state, and then you have this grassroots effort that's engaged in making a difference. I think one of the bills that got vetoed is largely in part to the grassroots effort. I don't think the grassroots and these organizations realize the impact they can have. If they would have more active on lewd lascivious and send more emails or phone calls, it was relatively quiet on that bill. I was shocked. But I think that they could help push that over the the, the finish line. And I understand we get it. Everybody's got to focus their energy and they were focusing energy in different places. But that's one example where I think that could have been a huge one. Representative Odenbach had one on the Center for American Exceptionalism. Uh, that was a great bill. These types of organizations, that's right up their wheelhouse, right? And if they get behind some of these, they really don't understand the tremendous impact they can have. But we do. We see it. We hear about it. Um, having those folks also come and testify is so huge. When you have 15 people waiting in line to testify, whether it's remote or in person, it makes a huge impact on that community to go, you know what, this is something that's important to people. This is an issue that matters. And they can shed light to go, oh, you know what, that dispels some of the muddiness or some of the you know misinformation that's getting spread about this. So encourage them to keep being active. We got to figure out how to work together, the legislature and these groups to really congeal our efforts and our focus on the conservative movement, I think. I've never seen this kind of uh, political activity at the grassroots level in my years in politics. And uh, it's, it's really exciting. And you're right. We need to be more active and engaged. And I think that we can make a real impact. So if it's happening, we're seeing it. And I know you've been a part of it for several years in the county party, the state party, and some of these groups too. And so I think a lot of that credit you know, lies with you as well. Oh, thanks. To be part of that piece of it. Because again, I say it just, it's a big team effort and everybody has a role. Well, we're growing, and we'll be there next year, too. Excellent. Look forward to it. Well, thank you for being on our podcast and making waves podcast with Ripple Effect. Chris Carr, Representative District 11. Thanks, Dave. Thank you.